there's somebody made a quote, there's nothing moves the imagination like a lighthouse. And certainly, um, I can remember from my days at sea on the bridge, um, not that I was a navigating officer, but being on the bridge at night and uh, how one watched, first of all, for the loom of the light and then actually raising the light itself. And of course, the lighthouse comes into its own then uh, from the seaward side, not necessarily from the landward side. They're oftentimes in remote places, a cluster of buildings, but from the sea, they're so terribly important. I suppose there are ones that, that have, um, I, I don't know whether romantic is the word, but have a character of their own, ones like the Fastnet and the Tusker, um, Skellig and Bull Rock there are, and Black Rock in Mayo. These ones, uh, I suppose, because one associates them with fearsome storms and so on, uh, that they do have a particular character, more so than perhaps the ones on the coast. Um, so yes, I suppose the Fastnet and the Tusker, Bull Rock, Skellig, uh, Eagle Island, Black Rock, um, Inish Trahul, the most northerly light of all on the island, um, and then funny places like, like Ratlin Island, there's three lighthouses. Um, but uh, I think the offshore lights, the rock lighthouses, as they call them, have, have, have a fascination all their own. This rock is a lonely place, attending the lighthouse light. Day after day I see no face, only the moons by night. At times the roaring sea is hushed and mirrors the starry heavens above. Or wavelets dance, auroral flushed, bejeweling each rack-strewn cove. Aslant the dome steel fog jibs way out on this rock. You see, my father, he was a lighthouse keeper. I was his eldest son. And, um, and, and I, I, it was a natural way of life. I couldn't see myself in anything else. So when I reached the age of 18, I just uh, automatically, even though he gave me a chance of a, of a um, good education, I was still just, I wanted to get back into the service myself. So I joined up in 1925 as a, a lighthouse man, a supernumerary out here at the Bailey Lighthouse. And I went on from there right through 42 years in the service. Well, of course, I was a supernumerary keeper for the best part of 12 months. And during that 12 months, I, I served on the Bull Rock for eight months. That's down off the off Dursey Head. And I was there for eight months. And then uh, um, I moved up then on appointment as an assistant keeper to Ironmore Island, County Donegal. And I was there for the best part of two years. Still a single man, bachelor, 
Yeah. And uh, from there, I was transferred down. I, I, I was rather lucky, you know, in this way that uh, I didn't get, uh, um, I didn't spend a lot of my time uh, in the very isolated stations. I was transferred from Armore down to uh, Spitbank in Cork Harbour, which at that time was considered a very good station, although I didn't, looking back on my life now, I wouldn't think it was. For a single man to go down to, to, to live in Cove on a very small pay. <laughs> I hadn't very much money leaving as I can assure you. So uh, I was there for the best part of five years and, uh, and then I was transferred up to the Iron Islands in, in Galway. I was there for three years. Uh, the, the lighters I was on in the Irons is, uh, was on the Brannock Rock, which is about two miles off the main Inishmore, which is the main island of Iron. And uh, we, we often got uh, long overdue reliefs there, you know, at that time, because um, we were relieved uh, by uh, one of the Corrocks, you know. They used to relieve us, and uh, well, you can quite appreciate that in the winter time. <laughs> You wouldn't uh, very often make the passage there. So I was there for three years, and then um, while, I, while I was stationed there, then I, I, um, I met my wife and uh, I got married. She was a Cork lady, she was working in Galway, and we met and uh, we got married. And then I was transferred down to Gallyhead, which is uh, near Ross Carberry in West Cork. And I was two years there. And of course, my wife was living with me there on the station. It was a headland station. And I moved from there then to Mew Island, which is one of the Copeland Islands uh, just at the entrance to Belfast Lock. And I was there then until uh, the war broke out. And uh, in, at the end of 1940, the winter of 40 41, I was transferred down to Ballycotton in East Cork. And I was there all during the war. And then I was promoted in charge of stations, and my first assignment was at a, uh, a station called uh, Poor Head, which is between Ballycotton and Roaches Point on the East Cork coast. And it's not a lighthouse, in, it was not a lighthouse in the sense that there was no lighthouse there, but it was a fog signal station. Uh, it was a, uh, they had a, a very powerful siren there. I'm going to uh, start up the uh, Lister engine now um, to get the fox into the test. That's where the sound emanates. And uh, that hurls out to sea now. And uh, what, you, what you sometimes find is that in the thick fog, you don't find much of a kind of echo. It echoes and re-echoes out to sea. Usually find when she's uh, clearing or fairly clear, um, there's more of an echo, you know? But if you listen hard enough, she'll echo. No, she'll echo, re-echo, re-echo, echo out to sea. But actually, she's uh, um, not regarded as a particularly good navigational aid, you know. Um, 
you could be in a boat out to sea there, you know, and uh, you mightn't be too sure which direction you're coming from. I mean, the sound can hit the side of a cliff somewhere, and you'll be unsure if you're out to sea where your position is. But um, I suppose if all this fails, it's, uh, it's as good as anything, you know. Uh, if the the diaphone uh, Foxen system fails. We have a standby system here which operates on a siren principle and uh, I believe that the, the sound is a pure musical note in G major. Um, whether that's true or not, no, I couldn't tell you, you know. It's a uh, one five second blast every 60 seconds. And uh, when you're on watch and the Foxen is blasting, um, this is timed regularly so that, um, so that you're, you're aware of any irregularity of the actual characteristic of the fox signal. A lighthouse is uh, navigational aid, and um, to mark it as a navigational aid, um, each piece of navigational aid has a certain characteristic. Um, now, the actual characteristic of this fog signal here is one five second blast every 60 seconds. Um, like, um, say, the Bull Rock, there'll be two blasts every 60 seconds, you know. Um, it's, it's sort of, um, it's a kind of a, it, it's kind of a marker, really. So say you're out to see a little boat or something, you know, when you hear two blasts and you hear into those 60 seconds, you know it's the Bailey. I wasn't left very long there, about a year and a half, and then I was moved down to the Skelligs. Uh, I was there for four years, and uh, of course my wife lived ashore in Valencia. At that time, the, the, in the lighthouse service, you see, at the, on those isolated rocks, they had shore stations where the families lived. And uh, uh, my wife lived in Valencia, and, and we had two sons, and they went to the National School in Valencia. Well, of course, the famous Skelly's Rock. It was like being aboard a ship. You, you, uh, you had uh, two other shipmates with you, and well, you, you carried out a certain routine. Uh, you had to keep watches during the night, maintain the light, maintain the fog signal if there was one on, and keep an eye out for fog. And uh, we used to have our meals at the set time each day, and. Uh, then there were a lot of chores to be done, such as maintaining the stations. They were all kept in pretty good order, you know, and that kind of thing. So that was the general routine. Of course, uh, we used to look forward to the relief boat every fortnight. Or at that time, of course, the reliefs, especially on the skellies, they might run week, fortnight overdue, and uh, we'd be glad to see it and get some fresh food. 
course, when the release went overdue, we had to, to live on our own homemade bread and tin stuff and all this kind of thing, you know. In the north of Ireland, uh, when the war broke out, we were taken, we were brought under the, the Admiralty, the British Admiralty, and they controlled. And it was the first time that I, that I uh, really experienced uh, radio, radio sets. Um, they supplied a, a radio set for the Mew Island Lighthouse, and uh, we had to listen in there with, on this radio continuously. This is the radio telephone here, where we contact uh, other lighthouses down the, along the coast. We do routine calls, five past eight, five past eleven, and five past four. And um, if we have any messages to send or if messages to come back, we, we pass them along. That is a message being passed from Kish Lighthouse to Tusker Rock. It's, uh, it'll be passed on to one of our tenders, the Irish Light Ship, Grand Whale, around the coast. See, when I joined the service, there was no such a thing as radio. There was no communication with the shore. Once you were out on a, on a rock like the Skelligs, you were completely cut off. But then, in, in the, in, in, as uh, my service developed and as, uh, as the years went on, radio came into the service. Well, that, was, that, was, that to me was tremendous, you see, because you, you heard all the, the news and the world news and you hadn't to wait for, for, for a fortnight to get the newspapers to hear all that was going on. That was uh, the, the radio. But then the greatest thing of all that I experienced was um, my first experience of the radio telephone. And that was on the Skelligs after, uh, just after the, about 1940, 47. And it uh, was really marvellous to be able to lift the, this telephone and talk ashore and say over to you and uh, keep her ashore and call you back and tell you all the news and tell you how all the families were and all this kind of thing. But now, of course, they have it uh, developed to such an extent that uh, they have the ordinary telephone on all these lighthouses. And they have some kind of a, of a, a system where the, you, you just dial a number and it's picked up on some, some uh, um, business ashore, I don't know what it is, and they, they uh, transmit it on or relay it on into the local exchange and uh, you make a call to any place you want to. So that was a, it, it, it must be really marvellous, you know. Yeah, so they're not a bit isolated now. Actually, I have a, I have the number of the fastnet lighters in my pocket there. A, a fellow gave it me one time if I ever cared to ring him up to have a chat. <laughs> it's unbelievable, isn't it? Yeah. Kish, Kish, Kish Lighthouse, Billy, Billy Lighthouse, uh, are you there, Robert? Kish, Bailey Lighthouse, uh, good afternoon to you, Frank. I have one RT message. Are you ready to take down? Over. Bailey, Kish, Roger, Frank, go ahead, please, over. Kish, Bailey, okay, it's addressed to PK, Kish, 08 stroke 1545. And the text, reference your 08 stroke 1200 signal, code B for Bravo. Send of message and assigned PK Bailey. I repeat, it's the PK Kish 08 stroke 1545. Reference your 08 stroke 1200 signal. Code B for Bravo, PK Bailey. Over. Bailey, Lighthouse Kish. Uh, okay, 
Cash Lighthouse, Bailey, yes, Frank, you have it all correct. Uh, we have nothing further for you. Over. Okay, Frank. So we'll hear you. Cheers now, Cash out. Cash Lighthouse, Bailey out. rock in its mantle drab, thick mist comes stealing round the tower. Ship's sirens moan and gulls' cries stab the air as in the lee they cower. Skies break. The sun's about to win through cloud and beam on every side. Leg-basking shark show dorsal fin. Swim lazily against the west-going tide. And fed, the otter comes to play out on this rock. In the museum, we have three types of lighthouse light vessels, dating back to 1740. One of the first life vessels was the Kish, which was stationed at the mouth of the Liffey. Now these life vessels are navigational marks and aids to navigation. The, um, they're anchored in, in positions where we couldn't build a lighthouse and therefore they help out, like with the navigation, they also carry a top mark on telling you which side to pass the vessel on. Now these vessels, being moored, they couldn't move out of the way and when any other vessel came up, they were a dead duck they could be hit by anything like especially in fog in fact the kish has been hit three times the day mark on on the light vessels are on on the mast generally two or one round ball the light on the on the life on the light vessels the early ones had to be hoisted up at night the later ones were already up there now they were a fixed light and after a time they used to revolve aroundwards. They also have a fog signal, which is distinctive. Every one of them has their own fog signal, which is sent out and like with fog guns, a bell, or something like that. And in, in early times, they even used a drum. The accommodation, each ship has an accommodation for roughly 10 to 12 men, including a skipper and a mate. There's one instance there of the Daunt, the Lord, she actually broke away in 1936 in a blizzard and she drifted around for three days. The men had to jump off her and were taken ashore by the, by the local lifeboat. They won quite a lot of medals of this. This whole lens from the Bailey Lighthouse was presented to the Maritime Museum in uh, 1979. As you can hear it yourself slowly moving around, she gives a light in here, in the museum, every 23 seconds. She gives a flash. Inside the lantern, you can actually see the ancient lighthouse, which was built in 1671. And this was the original Bailey lighthouse. And what they used to do is at daytime, 
they used to burn turf as uh, daymark. At night time they had a brazier where they must have burned coal or wood. I don't know the actual material that they burnt. In 1814, uh, the baby was transferred to here, the position we're standing in now. I believe that um, at one time this was uh, a fort um, built by Cromwell. And in fact, if you see the houses above there, the AK's dwellings, and what is now the Helipad House, there used to be the barracks for Cromwell's troops. And uh, Bailey, I think, is, is, is an ancient name for the fort and so that uh, the name of the lighthouse was is right in its source. Now you're now at the, the very bottom of the tower, uh, which at the bailey here is an assembly point in case of uh, nuclear fallout. As you see here, there's three tanks um, full of water um, for use as we assemble here in the case of a nuclear fallout. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think we'll descend, descend the tower. As you see, the steps of granite, which uh, it's quite characteristic of lighthouses, you know? not only in the Irish coast, but the English coast as well. You notice a funnel right, going right through the centre of the tower from the top to the bottom. Well, it's now obsolete, and the original use was certainly obsolete now in the Bay Lighthouse. And the original use was that uh, there was a weight attached to a wire in the funnel, and um, as the pull the weight, descended down the funnel. Effectively, it revolved the lens around, um, usually on the back of mercury or ball bearings. But um, nowadays there's an um, electric motor uh, which revolves the, the uh, lens around automatically. One time you had to actually wind the wire across the drum and um, as the weight went up the, up the funnel, uh, she was set down to go down again. You had to give her another wind. And this is done frequently during the man's watch, during the night hours. And here you have the, the standby siren fog signal which we operated earlier. And uh, she's housed here in this little alcove here on the second flight. This is the, the, the diaphone house, which is uh, just a, a little room which houses the um, the trumpets and the pistons and all the paraphernalia to do with the, the diaphone. And um, it's, it's the old style uh, type fog signal. And going back um, before this system, they used to have uh, rockets which used to fire at night time. And uh, some of the old lads are telling me they used to actually, actually uh, fire night flash. It was an explosive fog signal. 
And uh, it, uh, yes, it was, you see, uh, it was about 600 feet above sea level. Now, the lighthouse itself was 250 feet, and you had to climb up what we call the North Road, right up to this, uh, what we call it, the firing hut. And you had to spend four hours there uh, firing uh, explosive signals every, I, I think it was every six minutes now, I'm not quite sure. And uh, you had to stay there then until, you see, there was another man on watch down on the light. Well, he'd, he'd, he'd flash a light or he'd put a light on a window to, and show you if it was clear underneath because the skellies used to get capped in with, with cloud, you see, with fog. And it'd be quite clear underneath and you'd be up there and you'd be still in a, in a dense fog, you see. So he'd put up a light and when you would see that, you'd notice it all clear below and you'd shut down and come down. But, uh, oh, that was a tough, tough job. One of the toughest I experienced. You can imagine climbing up that that terrible road under the cliff there at night, and uh, uh, there were no electric lights around. We just had a hand lantern and climbed up, and you were always in, uh, afraid that some of the loose rocks would come hurtling down on top of you or something like that as you climbed up. You know, it was really uh, I, I, it's one of the I, I'd say looking back, it was one of the toughest jobs that I experienced in the lighthouse service. Now we'll come to the uh, top part section of the town, which is called the Lantern. And um, at the Bay Lighthouse, there is uh, four sections of the lens. And I'll show you here, I'll take the curtains down. Uh, the lens is made of glass, and effectively there are prisms um, placed in a certain position. So that what happens is that every scrap of light is utilised so that you get a pure beam of light coming out of the centre here, which we call the bullseye. And there you're getting your beam. And this revolves at, uh, at the Bay Lighthouse at uh, one flash every 20 seconds. So from this bullseye here to this section here is a period of 20 seconds when the, the um, lens is rotating. You can actually open the lens out and um, um, I'll show you the source of the light, which is a metric bulb. And um, the bulb has to be dead centre in the lens. And um, this is the, the actual source of the light. Uh, and the lens revolves, revolves around this source. It's in a certain characteristic. But you actually see here two bulbs instead of one. Well, the reason for that is that um, if the main light source bulb blew, uh, the other bulb would automatically trip into position. And um, if this fails automatically, you can do so manually by just uh, flicking the switch at the bottom there, you know. But I say it has to be dead centre in the lens because if it's not what you do, you get what's called a false flash, um, whereby you don't get all the light utilised so that it goes through the bullseye and the pure beam. You get sort of little, uh, tiny little uh, lights sort of going off here and going off there, you know. So that's why, that's the reason why it has to be dead centre in the lens. Uh, the actual lens rolls around electrically and um, at one time um, the actual source of the light was uh, incandescent. At uh, some stations they still um, have the incandescent light as a kind of a standby.
the system in my time, of course, was incandescent, which is, uh, well, a vaporized paraffin oil. I, I, you see, the paraffin was, it's just the same as uh, you, you, you've often seen a, a primer stove where the, the, the air pressure, the compressed air, it forces the paraffin up through a heated retort and it form, forms a vapour and you put a mantle on it. I think that's the way I could describe it to you. And uh, that was the system of lighting and when I was there, but of course that's all gone years ago. They're all electrified now. rock at sunset's glow, a white spindrift on the lantern pane sparkles and glistens and runs below in rivulets of fire and into the sea again. A ghostly form comes floating down, alights upon the flagpole's stay, great saucer eyes and speckled gown. An owl bewildered by the ray and the lantern clock talks time away out on this rock. The watches were divided up into uh, um, six to ten, ten to two, two to six. I know if you were on the six to ten in the morning, you you uh, you had to look after the light, of course, up till uh, sunrise. And then at sunrise, you extinguish the light. You pull down the curtains on the lantern. You, as, as I say, it was an incandescent in my time. You you oiled up. The, you did all the necessary. You prepared the light in the morning. Father night, the man on the six or ten watch. You oiled up the light, you cleaned the retort, you left the lantern ready for the lighting watch in the evening. And then after that, then you you uh, uh, well you you cleaned up the mess room and uh, got the kettle going and all for the the other two fellows that were coming on duty at ten o'clock. So you called them at ten and. Uh, they came down and we generally had our breakfast together. And, uh, well, one man then, well, I, I, don't, I don't know what system they have now, you see. But uh, when, I, when I was on the rocks, uh, one man, generally the man on the tent to two, he'd look after the mess room then. And uh, we'd, all, we'd all prepare the, the, the dinner, you see. And then we, he'd look after it and get it cooked and we'd move out. And if there were any jobs to be done around the station, and maintenance jobs, cleaning jobs, anything like that, well, we'd, we'd uh, carry out those duties. And then we'd get back and uh, have our dinner together. Well, then, in the winter time, generally, the man in the two to six 
well, he'd clean up, and uh, he'd have to keep an eye out, of course, for fog and that. And we'd, uh, well, sometimes the lads might turn in the bunk for an hour because they'd be coming on duty again at night, you see. Six to ten men might turn and lie down for an hour or two of the fellow, or the fellow coming on at ten at night, you know. And, but in the summertime, we generally, especially on the skellies, we'd go out and have a walk around or maybe do a bit of fishing or something like that, you know. I used to read a lot and I was very fond of writing. I, 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 I was quite a prolific correspondent. I used to write to a lot of my relations and friends and that. But uh, uh, some of the lads were interested in carpentry and, and uh, mat making and, you know, hobbies like that. But I, I never had any great flair for these things. Well, of course, if the, if the weather was fine and calm, you, you were able to step out on the skelligs, but uh, in, in, um, uh, if there were any rough seas or there was swell in the water, well, they, we had to use what they call a gaff landing, which is, uh, I could only describe it to you as a, as a, a derrick and a, a rope fall on it. And uh, this swung out over the, the water, clear of the rough shore, and uh, lower down, and you just put your foot in what we used to call a bowl and hold onto the rope, and the lads on the rock would heave you up onto the onto the platform. And then when 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 the relief when you were landed, then the fellow going ashore was similar. He was lowered back into the boat. That was in 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 any kind of rough weather, you know. And that was the general system all round, where the, on those isolated rocks. On this rock sweet moments come when memory glides on swiftless wings to my childhood cot, a bent thatched home, to an ivy church where a choir sings. Then I kneel and pray that when I grow old, when the heavenly keeper my soul shall call, he will knight me with a sword of gold and end my lonesomeness midst loved ones all. 
the lighthouse light in the light's fulgent ray far from this rock <laughs> 